Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 38, The Last Time I Committed Suicide, from 1997. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. With us today, a triumphant return from Babes in Toyland, Jess Collins. Hello, Jess. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So why'd you pick this movie? You know, to start out with, I didn't know anything about this movie. I'd never seen it before. And I decided to pick this film because as a teenager, I was really big into the beat movement. Okay. So I would have hated Teenage Jess, I guess is what you're saying? Teenage Jess was really emo. I mean, I still paint my fingernails black all the time, but I was black <laughs> everything. Yeah, I just can't get behind the beat movement. And this movie is all about the beats. And, you know, I don't think it's the first time, but I can't remember the other time, Mike. But this is based upon a letter. It's not based on a book. It's not based on a short story. It's based upon a letter. Oh, I didn't catch that credit. And it's the letter that the main character wrote to Jack Kerouac, right? Yeah, like, that Neil Cassidy wrote. Neil yep. Cassidy. This is about Neil Cassidy, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's interesting. I mean, there's been issues just adapting books in the past, but I mean, to stretch <laughs> a fucking letter out to an entire movie is like, oh, God. Of, if it's not like a letter between presidents or something, like, I don't understand. They should have drawn from more than just that, I feel. Even better, it wasn't even the whole letter. It was a fragment of the letter. <laughs> oh, man, at least use the whole letter. Yeah, it was 5,000 words of the letter. They didn't even find the real letter I read until, like, 2010. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> um, like, I'm, I've got nothing against the beat movement. I mean, Lewin Davis is one of my favorite movies, and I feel like that really Ugh. captures... But it captures an aspect of that movement. There's more finger-snapping in that movie than there is in this one, you know what I'm saying? I feel like there's more hipsters in that movie than there are in this one. But this one just doesn't do it for me like I, I was liking it I'd say I petered out 40 minutes in where I feel like the movie gave up on itself like it, it was establishing like this quick pace and almost I was like oh it's like trying to create beat photography or beat cinema or something like that but then I feel at the 40 minute mark it just gives up on itself I wasn't on board at all even though Thomas Jean is the star Neil Cassidy who I think of as Mickey Mantle, but I guess he's he's way more known for <laughs> movies other than Sixty One. Yeah, I feel I think of him as uh, Hung on HBO. I don't know. If he you was ever saw and that he was show. just in he was just in USS Indianapolis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he's pretty well known for being the Punisher, one of like four Punishers out there. It's true, and we have Fat Keanu who gained thirty five pounds for this role. But like, I don't know why. Like, nobody knows what these guys look like really. Like, just be yourself. Like, don't gain all this weight for because he's not even in really the first half of the movie. Like, he's second build, and he's in, like, maybe two scenes in the first 45, 50 minutes, and he's in a couple more of the back half. But, like, why are you doing that to yourself, Keanu? Yeah, I didn't really understand. I even put in my notes, pudgy Keanu. Mm -hmm. Didn't really understand why that was essential to the entire storyline at all. So then I looked up, okay, well, maybe he was beefing up for another movie. No. Yeah, yeah, that's when we were watching Chain Reaction, uh, he is bigger than he is here he's like fat Keanu not just chubby but that was as a result of like a back injury and he a hockey injury yep. a hockey injury yeah so like that wasn't intentional necessarily and then in the last movie we watched feeling Minnesota like he was back to his old self it seemed mm-hmm. like it was there recognizable and then in this I was like oh I wonder if he he just hasn't lost half the weight and they filmed this movie first but to put on the weight as if like 
going method or you know something like De Niro might do you know put on weight for a role but yeah it didn't feel necessary at all the one thing it did do though was remind me how sort of big and tall Keanu is in real life or can be like I never really pictured him as like a guy who takes up a lot of space in a room or like could crowd somebody but I definitely did get that out of this if anything that he's a big imposing dude in this movie yeah when I read that he had gained 35 pounds before I really started watching it or before I saw him on screen and like I think like the first I don't know if it's coincidence or what but like the first few camera angles you see him at he doesn't look fat and I'm just like okay I'm like I'm waiting for it I'm waiting for it and then like he just turns and I was like oh there it is like there's all that extra weight uh, but what's weird <laughs> is that like the next movie we're doing is The Devil's Advocate and I don't remember him being big in that and then the next movie there's a TV show in between a TV a brief TV appearance but the next movie after that is The Matrix and obviously he's not fat in that so why would you gain all this weight for this like weirdo movie that you know had a four million dollar budget and made forty six thousand in theaters and this is also a movie might i point out that metacritic does not list like there's no entry for it at all on metacritic and no reviews on rotten tomatoes i don't think any critic saw this movie or if they did they didn't write about this movie oh that's a mystery yeah i i really wouldn't want to write about this movie either um (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never heard of this movie before doing Keanu Club. Like, this is definitely one of the randoms. And it's also another one where, like, you put on the title on the menu screen and, like, Keanu's front and center and Thomas Jane is sort of, like, back and to the left. I thought that was funny. It's just, like, not even... It's just being misadvertised, too, as on top of everything. But, you know, what else I didn't get until they said it later in the movie are two things. One is that this takes place in 1946... Yep. I didn't pick up on that very much. And the other thing is that Thomas Jane is supposed to be 19 in this movie. Ages are weird because the whole creepy thing is that, you know, he's hitting, they're talking about high school girls all the time. And there's that one 16 year old girl. And that's ultimately like what leads to the only action of the movie is that he gets arrested. And it just, everybody's kind of fuzzy because they look like men. And Keanu is in real life, what, 35 at this time? And I don't know, what's Thomas Jane? How old is Thomas Jane? I don't know, man, but he is not 19. <laughs> no, he would have been 20, 27, 28. Like, I mean, he's closer, but still not quite there. Look, I think it worked better for Keanu playing his age because he even refers to himself at the end. Like, the third act is basically his act, I feel. And it's like he refer he has that whole thing where he talks about himself as a big creep. He has, like, his, his creep monologue. Give me your shoe. Oh, what? Give me your goddamn shoe. I want to kiss the crowd you walk on. <laughs> And she still thinks you're a creep, man. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter one bit. Show she's got good taste. I am a creep. Hell, you know that. I know that. It's good that she knows that. Get things out in the open. Start with honesty. That's what my old man said before he took off. And I might add that creepiness just so happens to be one of my most powerful traits. Creepiness and neediness. So it's strange that, like, they got an actor like Keanu, who's playing his age, and then they got someone like Thomas Jane, who's not. And I feel like this movie can't be much better, but, like, I feel like if you at least cast, like, a 19-year-old in the role of Neil Cassidy, at least that would have been better. I feel like they just needed, like, a bankable star. Like, I don't know if this movie would have been made if you have a no-name in the lead. But was Thomas Jane known in 1997, really? I didn't know anything about him back then. I really didn't to be quite honest he i feel like this is maybe some of his very early work that's another thing this is super indie we have adrian brody in here before pre-piano i believe he's he's 
ooh, he is not great in this movie. He's just, he's kind of like crazy and annoying in this movie a little bit. Yeah, my favorite scene with him was when he was trying to catch a football, because I was like, oh, that's relatable. <laughs> he's like what I feel is like carried over from then to now where like the modern hipster like that's what i really got out of him like he was where i felt they focused a lot of the stereotypical sort of annoying beat guy like you know always trying to sound a little more prolific than they can and everything whereas i kind of felt like with the cassidy character felt a little more true to his character than it did to his surrounding characters people in this movie i feel are speaking in his voice also and it's not working I'm looking at Thomas Jane's IMDb right now, and he was in a couple movies before this. He was the star of some movie called I'll Love You Forever Tonight, which I don't know. I think he was in Deep Blue Sea, right, around this time? That's not yet. That's after this. He's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's in Nemesis, At Ground Zero, The Crow City of Angels, and then this. But then immediately after this, he's in Face Off and Boogie Nights, and a couple years later he'll be in Deep Blue Sea, and then Magnolia and 61. So, I mean, I guess he wasn't the name at this point, but maybe this movie gave him recognition? Because, I mean, he goes from this to being in things that, with big-name directors that are actually, that people know about and care about. I don't know. I didn't even feel like he was very good in this movie. I didn't feel like anyone was really good in this movie, except, you know, when Keanu's throwing up near the end. I thought that was really (laughs) believable. I felt like this movie left me with a very blah feeling. I think afterwards, I was just like, man, that movie, I don't even want to ever see that again. Did you buy it or did you rent it? Like, do you own this movie now? I do not own this movie. Oh, and you're lucky. I'm, yes, it's on Hulu right now. Oh, look at that. Mike, is your DVD that you bought, is it full screen or is it widescreen? Yeah, it's full screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's just because it was matted for theaters. And at one point, there's a shot where you can see a boom mic, to be honest. Really? Not. Yeah. I did not uh, catch that. It's when he goes back to the girl who actually tried to commit suicide in the movie. Okay. Like there, that's the thing, too. There's like an actual suicide attempt and then his sort of metaphorical whatever. I, You know, that was the last time I committed suicide. It's yeah, like, go oh, screw I, Thomas Jane. <laughs> I actually don't think he's that bad in this. I think it's just, a, you know, it's a bad movie. It's a tough role. It's, I actually feel like he's pretty good in it. I mean... I would agree. There's not a real whole lot of support going on here. I don't feel like there's a lot of chemistry either, even between him and Keanu, and especially at the end, I feel like they're doing completely different things. I actually really like what they're both doing, especially Keanu at the end, where he's got his Christmas hat on and his Christmas, and he's drinking alone, and they run into each other, and he's, like, really drunk and stuff and all that I I liked. But, yeah, for the most part, I don't really feel like there is much of a supporting cast here. Like I said earlier, I feel I, I liked the craft of it, the film style, and then, you know, when they get to the Hollywood flashback, the movie just screeches to a halt for me where they go and talk about his previous girlfriend, and then they come back, and it's just like he goes back to that girl, and it's super slow, and nothing's happening. and It's I, just aimless. Yeah, I just feel like after the 40-minute mark, the movie just just stops for me. Where's all the energy of the first 40 minutes? Where's all that quick cutting? Where's all the jazz music? Where did that all go? It's like everything just kind of goes poof at one point. So I didn't like the beginning of the movie because the camera was like super shaky and trying to, I guess, convey the energy and the excitement of the era. And I didn't like that. And then I didn't like the end of the movie because it was boring. Like this didn't hook me and it didn't keep me. I mean, there's parts of it that I like. I think Thomas Jane is really watchable. I think he's good in this. It's just, it's hard to tell. I just don't know what the story is. It's just him like hanging out with girls, it seems like. And I don't know if that's just because the movie lost my interest or if there's just really not much of a plot. The one girl 
tries to kill herself and then he's just thinking about her and sort of flashing back and forward a little bit like that. I just didn't care and I didn't really follow exactly what was happening. Yeah, so I read the book by Henry Miller, it's called Sexus, and while I was watching this movie, that's all I thought about the whole time was, okay, you know, this really is summing up the beat generation, and everyone just wanted to sleep with everyone all the time, they didn't want to be connected to one person, but they liked having, you know, the girls are trying to kill themselves over them, and kind of having little groupies, and but wanting to just throw them away whenever they felt like it, and it just really summed it up for me, but I felt like I was watching that book on screen just with a lot less sex <laughs> <laughs> and a lot less vulgar. But it really felt like that to me, you know, in, in the book, sex is, you know, no one has any relationships with anyone that really mean anything. And it was kind of like that in the movie. Everyone had a quote unquote friend, but, you know, when it came down to it, no one really cared about anyone else. Yeah, I, I, I would agree that there's not very much plot here and it's just to me it just felt like he was a drifter and like that was all part of it like again like not to compare this to a extremely superior one of my recent favorite films Lewin Davis but you know in a sense like he was also kind of a drifter guy and just like detached from mainstream society I don't get the sense that he was as like a bad guy necessarily in that sense of like sleeping around with girls and trying to hurt them exactly I get that more from Keanu's character but it's definitely a hard movie to follow because there is no plot. It's like, again, I feel like it's trying to be beat in and of itself. No structure or at least no Hollywood structure here. No plot. Things are just going to, we're just going to wing it for a while. Like, let's follow this letter and then let's like dive deep into his dream of the white picket fence and how like that is in contrast to his belief system. And he has the chance to do that. And it's, it's like, yeah, man, like, let's just do all of it. Let's just see if we can invoke like a feeling of what we're trying to say, as opposed to actually say it in any kind of understandable clear cut way. Well, I think that's exactly right. Like, it's not telling a story. It's just trying to convey a mood or a feeling, and it just doesn't do that. It's so inconsistent and all over the place that there's not a frenetic energy throughout the entire time. Just like, if this is the mood that they want to convey, if this is what life was like for these beat poets, I don't want that life. Just, I guess, quoting uh, Varsity Blues, sort of. I don't want your life. I don't even know how to talk about this movie because Keanu just sort of pops in and out. First time I think we see him, he's playing pool, and he reminds me of Charlie Sheen and Deadfall. He is kind of like an evil sort of billiards behind the scenes, you know, pervy evil mastermind. Mm. I, I was thinking of Cage and Rumblefish for a minute just because yeah. Cage was like the smarter girl getter pool hall. Pool Same guy. era though, too, basically. Yes, Closer. It is strange though because. Keanu's only in the pool hall. I really was expecting him to be the lead, too. I was kind of caught off guard with Thomas Jane being the lead, but I at least was expecting them to be a team or, like, teamed up more. And he would be the guy spitting verbiage to Keanu, and Keanu would come back with, like, no, man, like, you got to do this. And then Thomas Jane would be like, but I'd do it like this. And so I really thought we were going to get them the whole time sort of pontificating about life and shit like that. But we really don't. We just run into Keanu at the pool hall here and there. And then at the very, very end, he's at a, a different bar. But it's still sort of the same setting. He's, like, this indoor pool shark creepy guy. I mean, the only time that they really team up is when they go for that drive. 
And then at the yeah. very end, I guess. But yeah. not, I wouldn't even That's call it up at the end. Oh, man, like you have no idea. At that point, I thought this was going to be like a road trip movie yeah. because I'm thinking on the road, you know, yep. and, and you know, Cassidy is the Moriarty guy, right? He's supposed to be Dean Moriarty and on the road, and every, or at least inspired to that character. So I was, yeah, I was really like, okay, we're going to different cities. We're going to go to the mountains. We're going to go to the beach. It's just strange all the places this movie could have gone, and it decided to stand on a corner, basically, for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but Jess, you said you liked the end when he was throwing up, or is that just did you genuinely enjoy that, or is that your no? The that was only the only light in the darkness. Yeah, I was being facetious. Um, <laughs> I did write down. I really enjoyed that whole scene where he's like trying to give him a pep talk. He's trying to get all serious, and then he starts throwing up. I'm like, really, this is where this movie is going. Pretty much. It's like we had something, we were going with it, and then no, we're we're puking in what looks to be underneath a desk or something. I think it's actually in a urinal. I think it's in the urinal, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't even go to the toilet. He's on the floor, head in the urinal like that. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So weird. So aside from, I I forgot maybe, it's not a scene that I like. It's just an image that he goes for the drive, and then then he just disappears for a while. And then he shows up again in a Santa hat. Like, this is right before he throws up. He's drunk Santa, basically. Oh, 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 where's the fire, buddy? I... <laughs> Come on in. You're just a man I wanted to see. Oh, here, I got somewhere to be, man. Uh, I'll buy I... you a beer. I'll see you later. Come on, it's Christmas time. Yeah. Neil! Have a drink with your pathetic, lonely, loser, piece-of-crap friend, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Make my night. I'm buying, for God's sake. I think that's one of the signs of the apocalypse. Come on! What's a guy got to do to get some company in this town? Well, I, I tried to Google for a picture of this, and I couldn't find one, so just imagine drunk, fat Keanu in a Santa hat, and that's pretty much this. He was basically, like, one sharp turn around a corner away from waking up in... Uh, Toyland is what I was thinking. I was like, I was <laughs> so just getting close. a flashback to Babes in Toyland. Here's another Keanu Christmas movie. Although what I did <laughs> like was that when they go to the bathroom when he's going to throw up, Keanu says that he's going to blow. And in a couple movies, uh, we're going to have Cypher saying he's going to pop. A couple different ways of, uh, you know, I guess talking about Keanu's vomiting. But also what was weird was that after he throws up, he gets really metaphorical and talking about sin and everything. You talk a good game about the picket fences and the honey at home, but when the seven deadly sins start lining up at your doorstep and you see that little lady lust all dressed in black, what are you, the devil? It's in your eyes, brother. It's in your soul. And I was like, the next movie we're doing is The Devil's Advocate. So he's like previewing his vomiting in The Matrix, and he's previewing his moral dilemmas in The Devil's Advocate, all in this one scene. And it's like flurry of Keanu Nections in an otherwise movie that I just do not care about, and I feel like we're not going to see again. Like, there's only one actor in this, 
Jim Haney. I don't know who that is. He was in this movie, and he was also in the Brotherhood of Justice. But, like, nobody else in this movie ever crosses paths with him again. And I can't imagine that unless he's in a Santa hat, or he is into poetry, or he's playing pool, nothing in here is going to be a Keanu connection to anything else. This is kind of an isolated, singular experience, except for this one scene where he's throwing up, but then it's just everything. I think Thomas Jane even asks if he's the devil at one point, and I wrote down, advocate maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wait, so the girl who commits suicide, she looked extremely, she's from, like, Meet Joe Black, and, like, she, she never, I could she doesn't come back either or nothing, none of these people, I mean, I would love to see him and Thomas Jane. No, none of these people, nobody comes back. I feel like Thomas Jane could fit into, like, a John Wick sequel or something like that, or even, like, Bill and Ted's, like, that would, I would love to see him do his comedy thing. Did you notice, I didn't catch her on screen, I just saw her on IMDb, and maybe it was just because I wasn't really paying attention, but Amy, Amy Smart, Smart, a young baby-faced <laughs> Amy Smart is in this movie. Mm-hmm, yeah, one of the, like, the three blonde girls in Keanu's first scene. Yes, and the, the creepy pool hall scene. Sorry, pal. You must resign yourself to being exceptional. You have no right of claim to their fences and their grass. You're special, man. You are the big cat, destined to wander forever, spreading your sunshine onto the lives of those of us with less. <laughs> You're shot. You know what I think we need? What's that? I think we need some road under us. What say you? Something in mind? Here's my suggestion. I say tomorrow in the AM when you get back from Tire Town, you and me borrow a vehicle and stretch it out. <laughs> girls up for a ride later? Watch the sunrise? We can't. We've got school tomorrow. Where they had, we're like, we have school tomorrow. I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I mean, like, I know how I'm supposed to feel. Well, actually, no, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this because I feel like we're supposed to be rooting for Keanu. Like, we're like, hey, yeah, man, get these young girls. Don't let them go to school. Like, go out for go out driving with them. Just no, no, thank you. So awkward. So uncomfortable. Yeah, he is really creepy in this movie. I I always still wondered that at the end. Why does he hang out with Keanu and like why do why are these guys friends? You know, they're so far apart in age. They is Keanu just with Thomas Jane to get underage girls? Like that's terrible. I mean, there's that that whole confrontation at the end where Keanu's like, "Hey man, just like call that girl up." And he's like, "Well, the dude, she's 16." He's like, "You're 32. I can't do that." And I was finally like, "All right, like some kind of dilemma." But then he ends up doing it anyway. And it <laughs> do we ever find out why they're friends? No. Jess, do you know that behind the scenes, based on the book? Are they both based... Like, Neil Cassidy's a real person. Is Keanu a real person? Like, is he portraying a real-life person? I don't think he's portraying a real-life person. I think his name in the movie was Hank. So maybe he was, like, an amalgam of guys hanging out at the time. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't find anything where he actually linked back to someone who was real. At times, I felt the movie was trying to say stuff like, Cassidy is a real poet, but there are people in his scene that are sort of like vultures. Kind of like in every scene, that, like, or only there for the perks and stuff, but he's one of the guys who puts in the real work, right? Like, he's the writer. And it's like, you're stuck with these guys as your friends like it or not, just because they're like-minded and hanging around all the time. So maybe, in a way, that's how they came to be friends. At some, But th again, the movie isn't telling me that. Yeah, that's just like you inferring. <laughs> you're like sifting through like layers and layers of just nothingness. 
Well, just the visuals. I mean, I'm just trying, because we see Cassidy typing and writing, and I didn't realize until the end that it was the fucking letter that he was writing. I thought he was writing a book or or something like that. Well, because he's the only character in this movie with even a modicum of ambition. Men and women, young and old, I feel like he's the only one doing anything. Everyone is just sort of content to just sort of float around. Keanu's just playing pool. These girls just kind of want to have fun before they, I guess, get married in a couple years, probably, because courting and marrying were different back then. Not that he's really doing anything great. I mean, he is just sort of writing, but he's the only one who seems like that he wants to do anything beyond what we see on screen, which is also annoying. These guys are all just like hanging out. That's not a movie. That's, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't really know what they were doing. And and I didn't know what I was doing while I was watching the movie. Yep. It's just... It's kind of like, give me something. I did pause this movie halfway through to take like a half hour nap. I was just like, I cannot, I can't get, (laughs) it's it's a short movie. It's only 90 minutes. I was like, I can't get through this without taking a nap. I just, I was falling asleep watching. I was like, I guess I just got to pause this and just take a nap and then crank out the rest of it when I wake up because I am not going to get through this desert of nothingness. I'm not saying it's good, but I was into it for the first half of it. I don't know why I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe I was just, feeling the energy here and like hoping I was just expecting it to go somewhere you know but like as usual if you have that set up and then you go nowhere with it then your movie fails for me Adrian Brody never comes back after that football scene I just feel like not even that there were a lot of setups that never got called back but it's just like again it just never went anywhere it's just so strange that what would come back is the girl that committed suicide right like that that would be the thread to continue and it's okay you could bring her back that's fine but then why don't the two of them split town and go somewhere how come it turns into this awkward dinner with her parents question mark her aunt and uncle i don't even know they don't even say really family friends it just settles in such an uninteresting boring place where it had the potential to really shoot off and keep going and get even more manic and and more fast-paced to the point where it's like full expressionistic filmmaking at the end and that would have been poetry that would have been film poetry to me and instead it just feels like it can't sustain i was wondering if i was going to be able to keep up with the movie if it kept going at this pace and it can't even keep up with itself (laughs) like it trips over itself and lays down on the ground and just kind of falls asleep and by the end i was pretty angry about that i do want to say the one scene that i liked in this movie i don't know if it's the only scene i like but i think it's the scene that i liked the most it's when thomas jane is over that girl's house while she's babysitting and he's super into smelling the baby i guess it's got that new baby smell which i don't know why they're leaving the baby alone when it's that young that it still has a new baby smell but whatever but he's like super into that which is kind of weird but i did really like when she's downstairs like they're having tea with miss mcgill on the couch and then the mother of the house the woman of the house comes home early and you know they're in the bathroom and so he's just sort of like sneaking around behind them that was funny to me and i don't know if you can sustain that i don't know if you can do anything with that beyond that scene but that was enjoyable. Like, nothing has anything to do with anything else in this movie, so I guess you just have more scenes like that. If it's based on a letter, and if Jess is writing that it's just based on parts of a letter, pick the parts of the letter that are more fun, that are more visually stimulating than drunk guys rambling about nothing. And maybe that's all the letter was. Maybe the letter was just him rambling about nothing. Well, then beat poetry is terrible. Yes. Well, yeah. I've grown up. I I understand that now. (laughs) 
or then take heavy heavy liberties with the story you know yeah. and, and insert stuff that never happened but that would be true to his character like you said really like that moment feels like something he would do right like he would joke about sneaking out again and then like oh no i really should sneak out we needed more of that i think the problem for me with that sequence is that it comes in the middle of one of the longest flashbacks ever he's at the bar and suddenly he's just like oh let me go into one of my flashbacks (laughs) and it's like you don't go into flashbacks this hasn't been established and then for like 20 minutes he's talking about that other girl and it just keeps going and going but it does have that sneaking around sequence in it and everything so um, I guess there's that but it's just so bizarre like even the twists and turns that that story takes about how the mom is like really against him and calls in the priest and then it turns out the priest is his godfather and shit and it's just like dude that sounds all made up so why not just make up more other stuff during the rest of the movie too and and drop this Hollywood flashback thing yeah I, well, I just—I never thought I'd be wishing for like the Cincinnati song in the middle of this movie. <laughs> like that's kind of how it felt. <laughs> I come from C I N C I N N A T I Cincinnati, the best town in Ohio. Like that movie was weird, but that movie was enjoyable. Like it was crazy. That movie had too much to talk about. This has not enough to talk about. That's the difference between Babes in Toyland and this. I don't know that either is a good movie. If you had to say like which one was made like a better made movie, I don't know. Well, this is more well made. Is it? Yeah, it, it's. It looks cleaner. Yeah, that other thing is like a TV movie. Look, I would. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather watch that again as opposed to this. But I also feel like this is a technically quote-unquote, a more well-made film. All right. I think the question should be, which of these movies is going to stick with you longer? And the answer is clear. It's always going to be Babes in Toyland. Forever and ever. Mm-hmm. That stupid Cincinnati song. And now <laughs> it's stuck in my head again. Thank you. Don't don't inhale the gas. Oh, just sing. <laughs> so I was looking, because I looked up the movie. Like I said at the, at the very beginning, this movie had a $4 million budget and it only made $46,000 in theater. And I wow. wondered what was what other stuff was in theater at the same time. And it opened the same weekend as Batman and Robin and My Best Friend's Wedding. Not that this movie has any kind of crossover really with any other type of movie audience. And it only made $46,000, so what's that? Probably not, 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 well, whatever the number is, not very many people saw this movie in theaters. But the bigger, the more important things, at least pertaining to this podcast and to our network, is that in third place that weekend was a little film called Con Air. So that was in theaters as well. Uh, Fourth place was The Lost World Jurassic Park. But interesting timing, in fifth place that week was Speed 2 Cruise Control. So he could have been out this weekend anyway, but instead we have... Jason Patrick or something? Uh, that sounds right-ish. And then also in theaters at that time was Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Yeah, baby. There's a lot in theaters. There's a new Batman movie, there's a Nicolas Cage movie, there's a Jurassic Park movie, there's a sequel to a huge action movie, and there's the first Austin Powers. Like, there's a lot in theaters. I'm not surprised that nobody saw this movie. I saw all those except for one in theaters, and I, I think the thing about this was... I don't think this was in theaters. Like, this probably got a New York, Los Angeles one-weekend release because it's a micro-budget indie movie from the 90s, in the late 90s at that. Like, I also feel like that whole thing about Sundance and finding, like, a diamond in the rough and an auteur no one's heard of and a writer-director supreme and, like, let's give them their movie and give them their shot. I feel like that window is closing quickly. 
we're really ramping up here for the second coming of the blockbuster and the CGI revolution, and that whole game is about to be set off. So, yeah, I just have a feeling this movie just wasn't in theaters. It was in four theaters, four screens, but it only made $12,000 its first weekend. So it was it was around for a couple more weekends. So it made $46,000, but the only weekend that's listed on Box Office Mojo is that first week. So I don't know where the other $34,000 came from, but you're right. When they were putting together the internet and uploading stats about films, they just decided to skip this one. There's, like, no critic reviews. There's no, like, I, not even, like, an Ebert review. I mean, Ebert and Roper were given two thumbs up to speed cruise control, so who knows if they even, what they would have thought of this one. Um, it's just very strange that it doesn't have, like, a, a trail of any kind online like that. One thing that I do want to read for you guys, and I sent this to Jess last night, looking for this movie, looking for critical reviews, I mean, you just mentioned Ebert and Roper. Like I said, there's nothing... There are no critical reviews for this, but I found on Metacritic, I, get, I don't know who wrote this, but it's wonderful. It's Keanu Reeves' biography. So I'm going to read this for you. Yes. I think most of this is either not accurate or just not sourced or I don't know. I don't know, but okay, here it is. Keanu, and I'm going to read it with typos and everything and, you know, exactly as it's written if I can. Keanu Charles Reeves was born at 1964 September 2, 541 AM. Zodiac Virgo. Tree horoscope pine tree. Birth year dragon. Birth hour rabbit. 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. His first serious film was River's Edge, but his first successful film was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Several years after that, he tried to find himself in such films as My Own Private Idaho, Dracula, Much Ado About Nothing, and in 1994, as he said, quote, bomb on the bus, end quote, in the unforgettable thriller Speed, he became a star. Five years after he acted in interesting movies, which did not become very popular movies, such as Johnny Mnemonic, Chain Reaction, The Last Time I Committed Suicide, and Failing Minnesota. Then he did very came to an unexpected decision, (laughs) refused to act in Speed 2. But after a few years, Matrix Trilogy shocked the world and wrote three names, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lawrence Fishburne, into a cinema history forever. Unfortunately, to say something about Keanu is hopeless, because he was, and he still is, very private, and he doesn't bother to create and image for himself, but still it doesn't hinder to continue this unearthly and unique man career. That's his official biography on Metacritic. (laughs) It's wonderful. It sounds like it was translated from a foreign language. I really wish I really wish I knew what my my tree horoscope was. Pine tree. Pine it's tree. probably pine tree. It's probably pine tree. <laughs> I'm a Virgo guy, so me and him we share zodiac sign. Well, there you go. I think his birthday is in April. Well, then he's not a Virgo. No, maybe not April. I just read <laughs> it. it. I don't to be, remember. Um, <laughs> late August. No, September, early September, September. September. I'm sorry, September. <laughs> September 2, 1960. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Oh god, I have nothing else to say about this movie. Jess, do you have anything else in your notes? Anything else you wanted to say about the last time I committed suicide? Yeah. Um, if you would like to watch this movie, just go watch uh, Howl from 2010 with James Franco because it's basically the same movie. What movie is that? Howl. 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 Like Howl.fm. Hours of listening entertainment await you. Yes. Uh, Allen Ginsberg. Basically, all beat movies are the same. Well, there's also like... 
Kill Your Darlings and On the Road and other movies that I don't like as, you know, as films, but are much, much better than this. So if you, there's, yeah. there's so many better ways to learn about the beat movement than watching this movie. Just read a book. It's definitely not this. Yeah. Go pick up a book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. I, th- I actually found On the Road to be like kind of entertaining to read. Like I thought that was interesting. I haven't read any other beat stuff but you know i figured that was a classic i should check that out at one point in my life and actually like like that book uh, quite a bit but i'm starting to wonder if like the beat guys turned into dudes like hunter thompson you know like did they go from beat to gonzo and if so i say just you know that's what i like i like more of that gonzo journalism stuff and um you know maybe an extreme beatnik version of that all drugged up on acid would be like go watch Fear and Loathing or something. I don't see that as a, an evolution of this. I see this I see Gonzo journalism and Hunter as like a like a counterculture, like a reaction, a response, like a fuck these guys and their pretentious writing, like I'm just gonna get real messed up and just like go watch racing in the desert. Like I can see that I, I don't think it's the same people. I think it's a bunch of people who are just like, I hate everything these people stand for. I wanna do something else. I always found that the the style or like the way they express themselves like through words are somewhat similar in that they get like just like real creative with it, but they do it a lot better. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I just say, yeah, I, you know, final word. Yeah, I, this is this is one that I I don't think I've said this in quite a while where I was like I don't even think you need to watch this to check out Keanu so much like you know Thomas Jane is good but he doesn't he can't elevate the material like he can only do so much and you know same for Keanu he's just not in it enough for me to say like yeah it's worth waiting to see him show up so yeah I'm pretty much a pass on this one. Man, you are so much more generous than I am because I haven't had it. We we've been on such a cold streak of Keanu movies that like I don't think I've really truly enjoyed one since Speed. Probably. I mean, it's it's been a rough '90s for me. I don't. I'm looking at the shelf like Johnny Mnemonic and Walk in the Clouds and Chain Reaction and Feeling Minnesota and this like ooh. Like I know I can't go out and say like, I can't recommend this to people just because I liked the first you know 35 40 minutes of it you know I, I don't I don't think other people do like I'm, I know you guys didn't and so like I, there's no reason to to recommend this to anybody but like if you know uh, yeah I don't know unless you're like extremely immersed into the beat culture today or you're some kind of hipster who you know wants to like this because it's ironic then you know go ahead but it's not bad enough to like it ironically no, but it's it's ironic enough to like it if you're like a modern hipster because it's about like the beat movement and there's hipsters in it and these are like kind of the original guys I feel that you know well maybe not these guys portrayed here but it's the culture at least right, in some right. form or fashion. I can buy that. Can you dig it? I can dig it. <laughs> well, thank you, Jess. You'll be back in I think like eight months for Henry's Crime. You won't be back so until 2010. Long. What is that movie? I don't know. So far. I have no I've idea. never seen that movie either. Well, maybe we'll give you a documentary or something in between now and then cuz we're we're pretty full up, but we got we got some Keanu that you can come back for in the middle in the meantime, so I will talk to you off air. But thank you yeah. very much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me back. Next week we'll have our hands up Mona Lisa's skirt, so I mean join us for the Devil's Advocate cuz that's going to be a lot more fun and a lot better than this, but Hey, we we made it through this together. Now, you know, we're the devil's advocate and then we got 
a Jay Moore TV show, and then we got The Matrix. So this is why, you know, this next sort of sequence of movies is why we did Keanu Club. So if you're still with us or if you're with us now or whatever, stay tuned because this is where it actually gets good again. I don't want to say gets good, but it gets good again. So stay tuned. Yeah, I feel like these next few movies are going to be kind of like the reward for sitting through the last couple movies. It's just like a shame that, you know, we were were seeing The Rock and... Conair and Face Off as the reward in Cage Club, but like right before that we had Leaving Las Vegas, which he won mm-hmm. an Academy Award for. A couple of movies before that we had the Sunshine Trilogy and like It Could Happen to You. And I mean, even though we had movies like Guarding Tess and stuff in there that I didn't like, most of the stuff up to that '90s action blockbuster trilogy, I mean, that was all good stuff. Here it's just, oh man, like I guess they're creative choices, but just let's get to the Matrix already. Jeez Louise. <laughs> So for all things Keanu Club and all the other shows on our network, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. See all the movies that we've done already. You can check out the next few that are coming up. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, all sorts of fun stuff, lots of other podcasts to listen to. Also listen to all his movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast, which I guess this comes out the 16th, so that will have wrapped already. So you can listen to all 29 episodes. So go back and listen to those, because a lot of the Shia movies are very good. So check those out. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jess Collins, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Keanu Club.